Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, hello guys. Hello guys, welcome to this special edition or of For the Love of Sophia. <laughs> Episode 100. 100 means that we've been doing this for how long now? For Is 100 it? episodes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, was it like four years? Something I think it's like, like three years. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. So it's like... So it is 100 episodes, which means is uh, it comes out every two weeks, right? Yes. So in a year, there's 52 weeks. Yep. So every two weeks means that we have what, 21 episodes, 26 episodes, let's say. A year. Per year. Oh, you maybe right? you're right. Maybe it is coming up on Four. It's yeah. It's gonna be. It's gonna be four this fall, I think. It's the fourth year. All right. Good point. Yeah. That's crazy. It is very crazy. <laughs> we just like started. We made it. Yeah. One hundred so, is always significant. Like I remember when I was in kindergarten, it was always the thing like the hundredth day of school, <laughs> and everyone brings in one hundred of something. Yeah. yeah and so. Like some kids brought in a hundred little toy cars and like, oh, here's a hundred dolls. And I was just like poorish. So I brought in a hundred raisins. <laughs> hey, that's, <laughs> that's all I had. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I wonder why, though, we have this this fixation with 100. And mm. this, this might go back to Pythagoras. But. I was thinking because it's, it's the base 10 thing, right? Yeah. And, and 10 is like, yay, when you can count to 10. But 100 is like the first big number. It's like the archetypal perfect number because you do like um tests and it's out of 100 yeah and so you know pythagoras 10 was the perfect number so this is 10 times 10 so 10 times 10 100 dollars right you have yeah. all these different things 100 dollars is a lot of money when you're a kid right <laughs> yeah when you get like your first hundred it's this it's this huge thing yeah it's it's an interesting thing but you know for us, 100 episodes are significant for a couple of reasons. Just like a band, we've been together for almost four years, That's which is true. not always easy That's uh, true. for people to do that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and we've been growing this thing. It's like uh, we, are, we are a good number, I think, of listens and people following this. Yeah, we're at about 20,000. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is a lot of listens. Oh, yeah. It makes me... and. Again, it's not all the United States, right? There's like stuff in surprise. Our, our second biggest country uh-huh. is Iraq. <laughs> could, could it be a, a VPN? I always think about that. There's not that many. V- it's like way more than you're thinking. <laughs> and then the <laughs> really? third, the third is is Belgium, followed by Turkey and Germany. So thank you for all the. Iraqis and Belgiums. I'm wondering if cool. the Iraqi one is not like some people in the military stationed there. That's that's fair. So 
thank you if you're out yeah. there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the people from Belgium and Germany and Turkey and, and everywhere. everywhere. Yes. Uh, sadly, Italy, pe- my people in Italy, what what are we doing here? We're, we're so not on the map. Italy doesn't break the top 10 or 20. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what, what or we 30. Like listens? Italy is at number 34. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. You got to do a better job. You got to reach out to your yeah. people. You know, that's what that's that means that whoever knows me doesn't listen to me. So you got to speak more Italian. I think that's what the people want. Sure. Uh, I, I doubt that. I doubt that. So, but is it people from your neck of the woods there? I mean, is people as in the United States? No, as in your <laughs> county. Yeah, that's easy. The United States. Come uh, on. no, no, no. Our number one. This is just shout outs, and then we'll get into stuff. Our number one town in the United mm-hmm. States is Columbus, Ohio. But that could be a VPN. No, it's it's <laughs> way too many. Believe me, like this, it's not that many. Um, also you don't, you wouldn't put your VPN on Columbus. So thank you to the Columbus people. The second New Jersey one is Carteret, which is, um, kind of near where I was growing up in Woodbridge. So Carteret's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. We got New York up there. Like New York, New York Edison is in the top 10, which makes sense. I I would expect that. I would would be expecting that. I mean, Bridgewater better grow up. This this got a lot of Pennsylvania Elkins park. Okay. So lots of love to you guys. Um, yeah. Speaking thank you, of what... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Th- speaking of what the people want, that's kind of why we're here today. <laughs> yeah. So um, for our 50th episode, we did our first Q&A, mm-hmm. and I thought it went well. I thought it was fun. Yeah. And so I had the idea that, you know, we're going to do it again for 100 and you know, maybe 150, you know, depending <laughs> on whatever. But we got some cool questions today that are all very different. Okay. That uh, that you guys have sent in since the last time we did this. Mm-hmm. And this will be fun. And also, any of you guys listening, you are free at any time to send us literally any question you're wondering to publicphilproject at gmail.com. You know, we'll hold on to it for next time we do this. So... But we we'll eventually answer. It's just a matter of being patient and staying with us. Yes, yes. Because and I'm gonna, you know, as I'll you, send some emails to you guys. Like, hey, by the way, remember when you asked this like a year ago? Yeah, check out. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, we are we do our best to to address these things. But as you have heard, like we're remote again because we are not seeing each other mm-hmm. much during the summer. Then and you know, which is. One reason why sometimes we're gonna do things the way we want it, it's the space time, and then the time thing comes in because the moment the semester starts, we are like swamped <sighs> by all sorts of obligations. So we need a special Indeed. episode to do this. It's not something that we can do in the middle of other episodes. Indeed. So without further ado, ready for our first yep. question? Go ahead. Okay, our first question someone is asking is something going back to episode forty-eight. Which was? I believe episode 48 was the 48. one on... That will be before 50, though. Yes. Oh, did we? I don't think we addressed this one, though, back then. Okay. Maybe this person listened to 48 after? Yeah, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Okay. Yeah, it was like an out of... It was a new listener. So... Gotcha. Um, this is the episode about beauty. Okay. 
And this person asks... Hold on, let me get a pen because... <laughs> Uh-oh, he's going to think about this. So it's very simple. So in that episode, we were talking about the relationship at some point between um, knowledge and beauty. Okay. And at some point, we got into this conversation, which makes sense because I know how I think, Mm -hmm. um, about there being like a negative correlation between beauty and knowledge. So this is what what is beauty part two. And Mm. so this person asks... Why would it be that an excess of knowledge would ruin the value of and beauty of things? So why did I or we think that too much knowledge would basically diminish the value and beauty of things? Hmm, that's an interesting question. It is. Yeah. And he, he sent a picture too, which I'll pull up. I'll show you in a minute, but... Because mm-hmm. I know, a- I know this was a definitely a thing that I pr- I probably brought up. So I don't even know if you agree with this. But like, what's your initial thoughts? Well, there there is a, a level of um, over how can we call it over analyzation mm. uh, that can definitely ruin stuff. Right? Is when whenever I think a great example is whenever you're watching a movie and somebody next to you keeps on asking you, "What just happened? What did they say? What did they do?" You're like, dude, I'm not, if you do this, I'm not in the movie anymore. And this is really, really bothering me, right? My niece so used that, to do that. What happened? Why he do that? Exactly. exactly. And you're like, what? Shut up, right? <laughs> um, but uh, aside from that, I don't think, I'm, I wonder, I don't know if we talked about this, if it's not so much the knowledge, but it is like the disturbances that you have in the flow that ruins beauty. Mm. Uh, because you might have you might have some processes that are, are running in the back that are still embedded within knowledge is just not coming to the forefront so i don't know if i, I don't know if it makes sense what i'm saying i mean that's it's definitely the case that something like um acts, uh, active awareness yeah <clears throat> um ruins certain things because as in flow states in aesthetic experiences, you know, when you're listening to a song, watching a movie, uh, maybe reading, or that reading is a weird one. I won't get into that. Uh, looking at a painting or something. Um, the whole point is that you're just sucked into something and yep. you disappear. And there's something we did, right? I did like that presentation with the Radiohead title, how to disappear yep. completely. Um, and so if that's the case, then, then being actively aware of details prevents you from doing that right so for example if you're watching a movie Mm -hmm. you in the beginning like maybe when you first turn on the channel you're like oh here's a guy in a place doing this thing with this object in this color but at a certain point your brain your mind quiets down it has to and it has to just stop because that's when it there's the transition from looking at images on a screen to quote watching a movie Mm-hmm. Right. And watching a movie, you lose yourself in it. You're not aware of your surroundings, except when the little kid or when the parent walks in, hey, what you watching? And then you're ripped out. And all of a yep. sudden, your awareness makes it so that you can't experience the thing. Um, but I will say, I do think it goes beyond awareness into knowledge. Hmm. 
Because um, I do think <clears throat> having even background, certain background knowledge um, could A, make it harder to not be aware or B, just kind of, I don't know, more generally ruin things. And so an analogy that I'm thinking of has to do with uh, religion. Okay. Or God. Okay. And it's, it's the idea of transcendence, right? And so transcendence means it's beyond your yes. capabilities, your capacity, mm-hmm. not just in scale, but in type. Yep. And Dr. Kogan used to have uh, this saying, he would say, to know God is to lose him. And so it's the idea that like, if you were to prove, oh, God exists and God has this character, the whole point would be lost. And all of a sudden it would be less uh, valuable because you have uh, reduced it, you have codified it, it suddenly loses its mystery, its transcendence, and the thing that gives it meaning. So that's the analogy, right? Is this religious thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I see. I see what you're saying, and I think I agree for the most part. The only thing that I'm saying is, well, first of all, I don't know if I agree with the part that you say the the even the background knowledge might ruin the beauty of things. Uh, is it? It is true that sometimes it can make you more aware and so it's difficult to shut off like you're saying you were saying before but i think that's different than knowledge right this is like more the ability to to get dissolved into the experience uh that is the issue um regarding the knowledge itself i think that from a different perspective knowledge is necessary to appreciate certain pieces of art that we doubt it it makes no they make no sense i'm thinking of certain pieces of sculpture or even paintings right um if you don't know what i don't know maybe better example but let's use him because it's somebody that everybody knows if you don't know what pollock is doing you look at it like who, who did this my kid you know <laughs> It's, there needs to be something there. There needs to be a level of knowledge. Uh, let's call it a base level of knowledge, if you want, to access it. Now, can there be too much of it? Sure, there can be too much of it, but we need a base level of it. It needs to contribute to your aesthetic experience at least a little bit. I agree with that. Yeah, because you need you need the context and you need to know what game you're playing. You need to know uh, you know what to expect. Yeah, so exactly. absolutely, because, absolutely. Because otherwise, you know, if would if there are no parameters, which is something that you know, I think I talked about when when we we're talking about the the aesthetic stuff about food, uh, with no parameters, there's no aesthetic experience. You need limitations. In order to have limitations, you need to know all these limitations. The canon that everybody's following, that is a knowledge based. Uh, entity so without that it would be impossible yeah you know it is and it's it's more like an excess is the problem now i'm I'm thinking of what dennett says in consciousness explained about mystery right like if you're if you're watching a mystery you can't know what the mystery is right because that ruins the whole point of the thing yeah right like the reason you're drawn to it is is precisely because 
you don't know. There's beauty in the not knowing. There's meaning in the undefined. Mm-hmm. Um, something like, you know, one funny music example is like, oh, at the end of, what is it, Strawberry Fields Forever, is he saying I buried Paul? Is he yeah. saying cranberry <laughs> sauce or whatever it is? Um, but this is the thing that keeps you engaged engaged, and wanting it and thinking. Um, not thinking in the active sense, but something that I, that, like a concrete example I think of is there's certain bands that I love and I know everything about, right? Like all the words. And then there's other bands that I also love that I don't know the exact words they're saying. Mm-hmm. But I still know the song otherwise like the back of my hand. And I've told you this before. I will not look up what the words are to that because there's something in the just hearing it as as noise the just hearing it as sounds that in itself makes you feel something like this is this is even the point sometimes like with um my bloody valentine or a lot of Mm -hmm. shoegaze music it's supposed to be fuzzy and there's words that even now people don't know what they're saying. It's just pitches and like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And there's a band that I like called Death Heaven, which is like a black metal version of shoegaze. And I don't know most of what is said. There's a, you know, certain parts where I can distinguish it, a super cathartic part, this one line. But otherwise, it's just like this thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something really special in that. And I think that if I were to look it up, I know that if I were to look it up, it would ruin, ruin, I know people, Claire makes fun of me for saying ruin, um, <laughs> what I have with it. It would ruin that relationship because now this thing that I thought it was, it no longer is that. And then I can no mm-hmm. longer access it. And I'd be trying to attach the sounds to content with what the words are. And yeah, I don't think that's a good thing. So um, I understand what you're saying. I'm wondering, though, so two things. Uh to emmer back to the, the idea that you need though some base knowledge right whenever it's true you're drawn to mysteries right to follow Dennett, right uh because you don't know and there's a beauty in not knowing right mm-hmm. but you need to know that's a mystery that you're watching a mystery because otherwise you're walking into you, you it can be maddening right it can be like what 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 am i watching here what is mm-hmm, it that mm-hmm. what's, which is the way I feel sometimes watching David Lynch movies? But uh, well, you have to what accept it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's easier to accept. It's I think that kind of the opposite of what we're saying. It's easier to accept the experience if you kind of know what you're walking into. Hmm. If you have zero clue, that's an issue, right? Then you get there, and it's harder for you to to give yourself to this thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, regarding the other thing, the, the lyrics and stuff you're saying, um, true. I think it's similar to to what we were talking right by before, right before we were recording. I think you are appreciating in that case, not the the perceptive aspect of it, but the sensory aspect of it for the songs. Is mm. your senses that you want elicited, and you are kind of. Uh, I don't think I have a better way of saying this. Like like an animal, right? You're plugged in in the moment and you are yeah. absorbing the sounds in the case of songs, right? In the most pure way we can. 
and you don't want the representation, you don't want the other thing to click in and to actually perceive the words and stuff like that. Because once you do that, you put a, you draw lines, you put a cap, yeah. it becomes defined and it becomes small. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's okay. Uh, that's I don't think I don't know if I'm I'm trying to think of the way I experience music, uh, and of course melodies and sounds are fundamental. But I think we talked about this. There is something about knowing. But it's also it also depends on the on the genre itself. That, right. Yeah. Like for example, yeah. so my shirt. Right. If you're listening yeah. to Rage Against the Machine, of course you're into the sounds because it's like cool and Tom Morello's doing crazy stuff and it's super groovy. Yeah. And uh, you know it's just very unique and there's no way you can confuse like who is this band playing? You know exactly. it's Rage. Against. At the same time, the point of Rage Against the Machine is the words and in a lot Correct. of rap music that's the point but that's a different kind of thing yeah yeah that's right? what i'm saying it depends on the genre right exactly and especially with like activist music it's like non-aesthetic to the point or to the extent that is activism right so there's like two things happening whereas with other mm-hmm. things it is more more like expressive and i think what you said about sensation which is raw stuff to go to our pre-podcast recording thing, versus perception, which is the awareness of objects as wholes, there's really interesting. I'd probably say it's somewhere in between sensation and perception because you have the raw stuff, but you are associating it with like feelings and different head spaces. So, so it is some vague thing. Um, and again, it's not that I don't know where, like I know most of the words to most of my favorite band songs, but when there is a little thing, that's kind of like beyond there's something there's something to that no no i understand i understand exactly what you're saying and uh, i'm not i'm not discounting it as wrong or anything i'm just i'm just saying that it depends on the on the on the kind of, of music you're listening to so yep. on one side of the spectrum there is the activist music there is the rage against the machine of the world where the words are the, have to be on the forefront of this if you want to have the right experience if you want and then on the other side of the spectrum, I mean, all the way there, there's probably instrumental music and classical music specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Where obviously it's not about, you know, somebody might say, well, but there is no words in there. Yeah, but you can do the same thing with notes, with, with tunes, with, with stuff like that, with harmonies and stuff. There are people that get lost. I'm one of these. Uh, they get lost understanding how things kind of intersect on almost, you know, the the the... the how can we call it? The boring thing about music, if you want, but it's cool to me. So mm-hmm. being a nerd, you know, I uh, was actually about to bring this up. So I'm happy you, you went into this. Cause I was going to say, it sounds like right now we're kind of like in between the beauty versus knowledge conversation and the form versus content conversation. Yeah. And I, I want it to be clear that, that I don't think it's a form versus content thing. And, and I think bringing up music theory probably helps us do that because I would argue that, and some people hate this, but some people like know this is like a love hate thing. I was about to say, yeah, I think that music theory can ruin you your experience of music, writing it and listening to it, because it stops being just some experience of things. Um, that are undefined and transcendent and suddenly just becomes this, it's like scientizing something. It's these like reducible, 
little things and it's like this combo and there's only a certain number of combinations and like oh it's following this pattern as do all these yeah and i yeah. think that that can really screw with you like i knew a girl she used to be my uh my close friend in high school she played piano and mm -hmm. she couldn't like jam because she just didn't get it right because her mind was in the theoretical uh thing so that that's another example yeah yeah it's, it exactly it doesn't need to be just the human voice there and the words it can be even within within music itself itself and i will add that there is like aside from the technical stuff to which we're talking about the music theory there is also something about getting too too much into all the sounds and precise sounds that are happening within a song that mm. will throw you off if you ever uh, i don't know if you ever did um any electronic music stuff on your own and the moment when you do that, then at least what would happen to me is you start hearing all sorts of little noises and sounds in a song or anywhere that you can associate because you're paying attention to the very, very, you know, uh, particulars because that's what makes you know, some something, some electronic music, what it is, right? The groove needs to be like every every space needs to be. I, in my mind, the, the, when I was doing this, the um, the analogy was every space needs to be filled with something because if there is something empty there, then especially in the bass lines and stuff like that, that will be you will you will hear that. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. then, and especially when you were doing sampling of stuff, I started doing things like with cards sampling the noise of cards when you're putting them together oh yeah i, start... I, th I think bjork did that too yeah yeah the, i used i started doing like things like dropping stuff from one place to another like sand and stuff like that that's cool then that became like i had to stop doing that because i could i wasn't able to listen to anything anymore because i will list i will hear everything and that will be terrible yeah, I think this is this is a weird because now I'm thinking though the other half of me really appreciates craftsmanship. Yeah, and there is some of me that's like, oh, I love like I'm a gear nerd. Like, oh, it's this pedal hooked into this amp with these pickups and this guitar and this mic and that stuff is awesome. But I wonder if this means like there's almost a distinction between like you have to be either in the craftsman mindset or the absorption of beauty thing. I, I don't know. Or, or the art mindset and the two things are separated. Yeah, maybe maybe you can't... It, this isn't something that there's a simple answer to. So maybe you'll say like in excess... This is going to be one of our Mad Libs answers. In excess <laughs> of certain kinds of knowledge in certain ways at certain times can diminish some kinds of value related to beauty yep. um, and value too and even even going beyond beauty right like if i think of you as just like oh you're just these three chemicals and some water like you're just then true but <laughs> right this is like what nihilists and like sociopaths and psychopaths think right like oh you're yeah. just flesh i could just stab you yeah so i think it's like looking at something as merely it's um reduced components that yeah that could be the issue and sometimes when you draw limits around something it takes away the wonder and the magic but it, it's so, it goes beyond what we can answer here so reductionism is the issue maybe 
maybe. <laughs> but this, this shall, we could do a whole, whole episode on that. Shall we go on? Sure, sure. Yeah, and by the way, this was the image just before we go on. Uh, he showed it's like uh, yeah. two people. They're looking at like oh, a sunshine and flowers, and and one guy is standing on a, a pile of books, and eventually he gets high enough to see over that wall into this gray dark world. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's what I would I would say because I think that's more of like a cynical thing about mm-hmm. how like the world is really bad, and, and I think that's yeah. different. That's not the same thing. It doesn't apply to beauty. You're saying yeah. Yeah, that's different. Okay. Um, second question. This one was old. Um, someone asked us to talk about our thoughts on free will. Okay. More extensively. I think I, re- I, I remember that email. And this person sent us a voice message. And oh, unfortunately, I when I went to the voice message, it was no longer there. <laughs> oh, but the person did include a video um, okay. that they wanted us to comment on. And it was a video of a debate between this guy named Brian Green mm-hmm. and our favorite, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> on, and, on whether, uh, and I think like a, uh, like a neuroscientist was facilitating questions and, and she asked, does free will exist? Mm-hmm. And this guy Green said, it can exist because if all there is is physical laws, then everything could always be explained by physical laws. Things couldn't be in other way because it's not like you step in somewhere in the physical. He's had this funny line like, it's not like the physical laws stop and ask your mind, like, what should we do next? <laughs> like, they just do things. Um, now, Neil deGrasse Tyson pushed back saying, but can't there be emergent properties that can't? And I was surprised by his answer. Uh, you know, that that yeah. can't purely be explained, like how you can know everything about an ant. But knowing everything about an ant wouldn't tell you how ants get together and make ant hills. So, I mean, I guess we can elaborate but, on, on the free will stuff. But he is religious, Neil deGrasse Tyson, isn't he? As in scientism? No, isn't he like, isn't he like Christian? No, what? I think so. I do not. This is the man that tweets to small children how there's no Santa. I don't think this guy could believe in God. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm gonna and if he up. does, I, I don't know. He's bad at it, and it <laughs> seems like he's a hypocrite a little bit. Uh, yeah. It, is, it pops up, like, immediately. That he is a Christian? Uh, that's a question. So, in an interview with Big Think, Tyson said, so what people are really after is what is my stance on religion or spirituality or God? And I would say I find a, a word that came closest. It would be agnostic. At the end of the day, I'd rather not be uh, any category at all. Okay. So that's di- right. He doesn't actively believe. <laughs> oh, God. That's better than being, you know, the Gnostic, hardcore, like atheist, oh, that, which is what I would oh, assume he was. That is true. That is true. So what, uh, what do we think about free will? So first of all, uh, one piece of news that will, um, you know, kind of put this in context for people when we're recording this. Like I think yesterday, Harry Frankfurt died, so okay. uh, who's one of the the major philosophers that worked on this? His article on compatibilism, which is this this middle ground uh, within the free will theory. Um, it's super famous, so I, I think it's apropos that we're talking about this today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
regarding the free will stuff, so I don't know what kind of... I'm assuming that the question is, does free will exist, kind of? So is it true, as this guy Green says, that A, everything is physical laws, and B, as a result of this, nothing could have happened otherwise? Okay. So A, my answer to A, to make it... Uh, to make it short, is maybe. <laughs> uh, and B depends on A, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So I I would say that well, we talked about this uh, at the very beginning, I want to say, of, of our podcast history. We talked about this a little bit. You know, um, if you are a firm believer of, if you are firmly stuck within the paradigm that it, the paradigm that it is uh right now the the dominant one mm-hmm. meaning that everything is absolutely explainable in materialistic terms everything's made out of matter there is no other substance everything follows this materialistic rigid laws of physics then yeah the guy is right because the universe doesn't stop just for us now, is that certain that that's the case? No, it's not. There could be, could there be other substances, a la the card, that don't follow the same rules? Could there be something that uh, has some sort of an effect on on this material stuff from a non-material standpoint? Sure, we see this every day, I guess, right? Uh, in a sense, but. I, you know what? So here's the thing. I think that I want to say this is what I want to do. I want to say that free will is possible and this it's there. <clears throat> but the truth is that the other side has a better argument, an argument that I cannot really. Yeah, that happens. This happens in class all the time. I, I like. I just spend so much time going through the determinist argument. And I'm like, I understand that it feels weird, but like you have to give me an argument. And it's tough because they do have, in some sense, the the better arguments. So here's a couple things I was thinking when you were talking. So regarding the B being dependent on A thing, mm-hmm. I once heard Sam Harris say that it actually isn't dependent on A because even if dualism was true, there would still be some kind of like reducibly, let's say, present causal mechanism. And so even if there was two or three or four substances, it would still just be stuff happening in accordance with laws and therefore determinable and, and free will wouldn't, wouldn't be there as a result. Now, is that true? I don't know. But it assumes that the laws work exactly the same way our laws work with these other substances, which is not necessarily true. This is true. This is true. I guess his response would be something like, but there's some laws, and if there's any laws, things... But I think the problem is, like, there's a difference between, I don't know, like, dependence and supervenience or something like that. Like, even if it's true Mm -hmm. that all of the... So the thing that... Neil deGrasse Tyson said was even if you knew everything there was to know about an ant 
you couldn't like from that know that ant hills would exist that there be or like these crazy structures that they build underground and it's because the the biology let's say of an ant doesn't logically necessarily entail the social activity and like the creations of the so right and i guess that makes sense does that mean is that an argument for free will or is it analogous to, I, I don't know because th- th- this whole conversation is weird to me because mm-hmm. saying that something is always explainable by a physical event that precedes it is distinct from saying that things couldn't have happened in another way because even if it's true that so right now I, I had the rest of my stash double bergamot earl grey tea as i do every morning i brought that up here and then i had some fancy seltzer today we bought le the lacroix seltzer because we just weren't at aldi um beach plum okay those things why i did those things are all able to be explained by a set of physical interactions mm-hmm. that Definitely. doesn't mean that like i I had to do those things, right? I could have finished my tea before I come up here. I do that sometimes. We could have been in a different store and got that seltzer so we didn't have to get the other when we were in this other store. So um, it's one of those questions that I'm not exactly sure how to answer it because I'm not exactly sure what free will is supposed to mean. Mm. No, I hear you. And that's one of the difficulties. And there, there are other things, right? Is it... I think it's self-evident that things that are obviously non-material, well, forget obviously, they're most likely non-material, like ideas and concepts, can cause changes in the physical world. And that's the logical issue for like Gilbert Ryle and Dennett exactly. and all these people, and, and Princess Elizabeth, to go back to that. Yeah, and so how... How is that connected to that? Could it could it be another idea? And how is this causally connected? And all those things. So it is complicated, and this is why one reason why we kind of try to stay away from it mm. uh, most of the time, I guess. It's one of those questions that are like, you know, so difficult. And then you know, there's all the other, the other aspect of it, which is the the moral aspect of it. What does that mean if it's not there? If the free will is not there? Uh, does it mean that nobody's culpable of anything, right? Yeah, yeah. How do how do we do that? And now, so again, I think that all of us, not all of us, I mean, at least me and you, want to believe that there is that there is some sort of free will. Just like the X Files, I want yeah, to but, believe. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know something is out there, uh, but but the thing is. Can we really prove this thing? I don't know. We, we, we should ask Jonathan. Jonathan is the expert on this thing. Yeah, I wonder if... I'm guessing he's like a soft determinist or a compatibilist. But um, for me, I think the the way I usually understand free will is in relation to the self. And okay. when, the reason why you wouldn't believe in free will is because you don't believe in the existence of a self. Like that's one... 
I think that there's like a, um, a logical following from one to the other, right? Like Skinner doesn't believe in free will because he says there's no inner psychic agent, mm-hmm. right? And in order for choice to happen, there would have to be a thing making a choice. And that thing is supposedly this inner non-material soul, mind, self thing. It's just funny because I believe exactly the opposite of that. You don't believe in that, and yet you do maybe believe in free will, right? So I think that the the persistence of a self is actually what makes free will less likely. It's very interesting. Yeah, because the moment you fix the terms, then from one thing comes the other causally. So do you okay. think free will requires some kind of indeterminacy? Absolutely. They brought that up too in the, in, the, in the interview. I watched it briefly last night. That's really interesting. So at the end of the day, free will is a tough, tough one. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, and it's uh, you know I, I will not commit. I so here's my attitude towards it. I think, I think I have no argument that I can make to truly say there is free will. But I still act like there was. <laughs> That's exactly right. I this is. I think that. Let's say. Well, how would I say this? It might be the case that determinists have stronger arguments of a certain kind sometimes. However, I act as if free will existed, and you should too. That's like yeah. my Uncle Sam poster. Yeah, it's like. Look, it, do you think about the fact that the Earth is moving all the time? No, you act and work like. The earth was still, and it's not, but you still act that way. This is the same. There you go. So we're copping out of that one. <laughs> so the the next question, this one is a totally different topic. So we've had an epistemology question, a free will question. Now we have one that goes back to our episode on um, di- what is a disagreement. Ooh. So there's some language stuff here, and there's some, um, let's say, meta conversation here. Mm-hmm. In our episode, <laughs> we had a conversation about verbal disputes. Yes. Which are these disputes that happen that on the surface look like opposing, let's say, claims or opposing content, but really is just a dispute or opposition between symbols so in other words what looks like a dispute about signifiers is really a dispute about signifieds sorry the opposite yes 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 the opposite yeah i don't know why i said that the dispute about signifieds is actually a dispute about signifiers we're just Mm -hmm. disagreeing it looks like because we're using a word in two different ways or using two words to mean the same thing right so this person says how can the debate about hoagie versus sub actually be a disagreement because they're the same exact thing. When someone says hoagie and when someone says sub, they're just using two words to mean the exact same thing. So that's not a real disagreement. What do you think about that? (laughs) Okay, I think we're going to get in trouble for this one. Now, uh... Uh... Are they disagree? Are there like any specific characteristics that make one or the other thing different? Really, 
So this was going to be my issue, is that the question is a loaded question. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean this as, like, if you're listening, this is a very cool question. A loaded <laughs> question is just a, uh, like a technical term in, in logic. It means that a question uh, presupposes a certain premise that the answerer has to accept even if they don't want to. It's like if I asked you, when did you stop beating your wife, right? It, like, means you're, <laughs> yeah, right, I'm you're presupposing you beat your wife. That, yeah. So I think in this question, by saying, how can hoagie versus sub be an actual disagreement that mean the same thing, you're presupposing that they do mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is whether this symbolic sound hoagie and this symbolic sound sub actually are pointing at the same object with the same characteristics. Okay. Right? And so what we'd have to do is figure out what the, the definition of each is. And if they share the exact same essential properties, then sure, it's like the the thing with the morning star, yeah, and Venus, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if not, maybe we're talking about two different categories. That's always what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I I wonder if this is similar to H two O and water. That's good. If this is, are they the same thing? Right. Yeah, the H2O and water one, I think, is even uh, harder. That's that's Putnam, right? Yes, that's Putnam. Um, And I'm inclined to say those ones actually aren't the same. Because water is, like, let's say, a a higher level object, a phenomenological object. Yeah. Whereas H2O is, like, the lower level chemical cause of oh, water and with is with sabanogi something similar happening are they no, two completely different so. phenomenological objects i think they operate on the same level like i don't think sub can be reduced to ho like i don't think hoagie is the cause of sub or sub is the cause of hoagie the um the guy also brought up he says he thinks this is just like the taylor ham versus pork roll debate Okay. Because those ones are the same. Exactly the same. Right? It, because Taylor Ham is the brand. Sure. Of the pork roll. Of the pork. So that one, maybe there's even a difference. Because that, that one is. Yeah, because Taylor Ham is the brand. Pork roll is the object. It's like saying dove and soap. Yeah, exactly. So there is right? a difference. You can have dove. Like shampoo, and and right. you could have pork roll that's not Taylor. Sure. So they're, they're not necessarily the same, actually. So literally, they're not the same, but the people use them colloquially to refer to the same thing. But technically, it's like googling, and then you use something that's not Google. Yes, like you, you go old school and do Ask Jeeves. <laughs> or Remember Bing. that? Or Bing? It's coming back, Bing, with the the AI ChatGPT stuff. Yeah, because it uses Bing, right? Yeah. Do you remember? So when I was little, <laughs> they, we had something called Yahooligans. Oh God, yeah. It's like the kids' version Yahoo? of Yahoo. Yeah. And there was. Do you remember? Are you too young to remember the other one, the other search engine that existed before? Which one? The Alta Vista. 
Alta Vista. See, that sounds familiar, but I don't know if it's just because it's a familiar sounding sound. That was pre Google or was like a competitor? That's that's pre Google. Before Google, there were you either did things on Yahoo or Alta Vista. Mm, definitely Yahoo. Google, and then Google came in. Wow, that's interesting. Well, oh, yeah. anyway. So with the okay, so the hoagie sub distinction. Mm-hmm. That's that's not like water H2O, and it's also not exactly like Taylor Ham Pork Roll because it's not like a brand thing, right? Yeah. So hoagie and sub seem to be just like stand-ins for the same, uh, how would you say, piece of the puzzle? Sure. I mean, what do you, is that true? That's what I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm in the, I live in the world of hoagies, so I don't know. You live in the world of hoagies in magical Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I live well, in the land of subs, which is New Jersey and possibly many other the places. Rest, the rest of the world. The rest <laughs> of the world. Well, you know what? Wawa is pushing the word hoagie on people because they call of it that. Like Jersey Mike's here is pushing the word subs. Yeah. That, so I wonder, because ho- did, did Wawa try to trademark hoagie? I don't think they did. No, no, no. I don't think so. That would be pretty crazy. Yeah. So, question. Can you tell me the characteristics of a sub? Sure. So, sub is a short for a submarine sandwich. And the reason you call it a submarine sandwich, the sandwich part's easy, is because it's long. Longer than just like the loaves of bread you would make at home. So, a submarine sandwich is just a very long sandwich now typically this sandwich also has a lot of stuff on it like you Mm. wouldn't make a a pb and j sub okay you would you would make a sub this might be getting into connotation i'm not sure um has like meats and cheeses and lettuce and tomato and onion and usually you, you need some lube because it's such a long piece of bread you need some kind of like um Olive, olives, uh, what's it called? Oil or vinegar. So I think that's what you refer to when you say a sub. Okay. <clears throat> so a hoagie, first of all, can be different sizes. Okay. There's a shorty, which is a small one, and there's a medium one, and then there's a large one. <clears throat> so the long part of it doesn't need to be there. <clears throat> Also, uh, do you have, like, tuna subs there? Yep, that's one of my favorites. Okay. Can you have just a ham and cheese sub? Yeah. Okay, so that is similar. Uh, And do you need to specify, if you order a sub, does it automatically come with lettuce, tomato, onion? Yes, like, like that's the standard. If you don't want that... A lot of places you say no. I mean, they do ask sometimes, but that's kind of what you expect. It's probably it's okay. like weird if you don't get those. I think. Okay. And I just I know because I don't get tomato all the time on stuff. Is the bread supposed to be of a specific kind? Uh, it's typically some kind like, of white bread. So it cannot be seeded. 
No, it could be because at Subway, which has sub in the name, they have all different types of bread. They have like honey wheat and Italian Parmesan. That may be, but it Remember? is imitating subs, right? <laughs> it's like it's like dollhouse. Uh, I don't know if uh, I think that the main difference seems to be the length of the of the sandwich. Because a hoagie, can, but can a hoagie be like a regular piece of bread? That you would make in your fridge, or does it have to be a, an ovular-shaped thing? No, I think it could be even half of that. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't have to be that way it's shaped. So you can even use hoagie to mean sandwich. More generally, I don't think you can do the two pieces of white bread with something but that would not make it. <laughs> be like here's a hoagie. Yeah, I don't know because I'm also in the actually in our favorite television show. I Robinson, <laughs> the Cosby Show for all you Yankees out there. He calls it hoagie. I think oh, he's in Philly, isn't he? He is in New York. He's in New York. He still calls it hoagie. Okay. Yeah. But is he from Philly? Yeah, Bill Cosby. I think is from Philly, right? So that makes sense. That makes sense if that's the case. Okay, so that one. To be content, I don't know. That one seems that one seems like very much the least. Like th- those almost seem like the Morning Star and Venus, but maybe there's distinctions. I don't know because you know more about hoagies uh, than I do. No, again, honestly, I uh, from what we said. So first, does it have to be cold or can it be hot? The sub. It can be hot because we have meatball subs. Okay, so nope, that's not a hoagie. Hoagie has there's to be no, cold. Yeah, there's no such thing as a meatball uh, a meatball hoagie. That's weird because that's exactly what like Heathcliff on the Cosby show talks about. Nope. No, it's a meatball sandwich. Okay, we found our difference. It apparently is a disagreement to an extent. Yeah, so no no ogies are cold. So it actually is two different categories with some overlap. A lot of overlap. You watch the emails coming in like no it's not true <laughs> like in you know in the middle of pennsylvania that's a it's a hoagie meatball sandwich. I, I love learning about this stuff these are like regional differences yeah. and, and yeah. stuff okay so in the part in the part where i'm at a hoagie it's just the cold stuff the other one are called sandwiches you tell us guys you tell us yeah. Yeah. um so we got epistemology we got free will we've got verbal disputes and language and here's one that is more about us. Oh, boy. Okay. And this one we just got yesterday. Oh, You may have seen really? this one. This one, I want to read it all nice because this one, this one was written nice. I do have one, too, by the way. Later, I'll give it to you. Oh, you have one, too? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So this one says, as teachers. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's already a boy. <laughs> How do you deal with changing expectations? To what extent do you continue to teach according to a quote-unquote old model of what college is slash does? And to what extent do you adapt your teaching to accommodate a changing student, college, and world? So basically, how do we function in this changing environment? How much do we stick to what we have and have always had? Because we think it's right versus how much do we mold things according to changing contexts and expectations? 
That's a good question. Yes. Not that the others were not, but, you know, this is this is a good question. I think... So, the first thing that popped into my mind is, uh, is the following. I think that the, the relationship that I have with teaching and with adapting to something different and ever-changing, like student population and everything... It's similar, my approach to that, it's similar to the approach that I have to parenting. Uh, the way I grew up, the way parenting worked when I was a kid was very different, trust me, from the way parenting works today. And since I'm not a spring chicken anymore, I've seen a couple of different parenting styles uh, throughout my lifetime. And the changes that have been there. And honestly, what I did, consciously or unconsciously, mostly unconsciously, I want to say, and the same goes with teaching, uh, is retaining what I thought was important and formative for me uh, while I was a kid, plus taking bits and pieces of the things that I thought were good for me throughout this history of parenting, in making into this, if you want, unique, different way, holistic, however you want to call it, way of parenting that I try to adopt. Again, it's not something that I think about it. It's something that I feel on a certain level that that's the way to do this. I think that generally speaking, this is the same questions of tradition, right? What do you do with tradition? Do you follow pedestrically? Do you follow it blindly? Or do you innovate? And up to what point do you innovate? How much do you give in to the new fads? And oh, how much do you give in to the new fashions? Or how much do you give in to whatever will become the new standard or something that is objectively better than was, that was, was there before? And like with everything, I think that a lot of thinking, a lot of, not a lot of thinking necessarily, a lot of attention goes into it and a lot of you know trial and error uh, goes into this I there are certain things that you need to change you need to do because you're not dealing with the same people that were living in the 50s anymore dealing with people that are living in 2023 things are different technology is different educational standards are different and also people's sensibilities are different but this does not mean to flatly accept, to to be just purely, and you know, I don't like this, so I, I will never be that, to be purely reactive to stuff, to be purely, you know, uh, reactionary and be like, oh, the students today need you to be uh, more flexible and you blindly do that. Because that is what leads us to what brings us to to disaster. Because then, if we we were talking about this in the last or in the first maybe love episode, like if we just go with the flow and all of a sudden we start doing things all in the new way, sooner rather than later we'll find ourselves in trouble because the pendulum needs to swing back again. So that that will be. I mean, I don't know that I gave a practical answer, but I'm just. I think I'm describing more the process. I think so. I think it answers in there. I mean, I think you're basically saying 
the answer that I have, which is you can't have one thing and then only have that thing in the same exact way forever and not adapt at all and not have new ideas and not experiment and not change. But you also can't retain nothing and just kind of be, I don't know if I'm using this phrase, a rolling stone, just like be a punching bag and just kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Be like, like a blob, like water, right? And you just take the shape of whatever happens today or whatever someone says and you think, here's another way of saying it. You can't not accept any criticism, but you can't just accept all criticism as being valid or true, right? You have to be somewhere... uh, in the middle. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say <laughs> Here it. it goes. I'm not going to say it. But I think in terms of like applying this practically, let's, let's look at ourselves. So is there anything that me going into seventh year of doing this um, that's the same? Yes. Definitely. Is it all of those things? No. Uh, what has stayed the same and what, what has changed? I think something that stayed the same, two things come to mind. One thing that has stayed the same is the, is the approach I take to getting students into this thing called philosophy. Like the, the, that first day. Of like trying to throw them into that like wondrous mindset and like it's like this thing that happened to you and it's like this thing that happened to you. Um, so I still use the same text I, for that I did, which is the whole text. I've always used that since day one, mm-hmm. right? Why is there something? Uh, why does the world exist? Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, in many classes, I still show like this funny video. Um, that I always show and I always do the same opening question after we have the discussion, which is like, tell me some overwhelming question you have encountered at some point in your life. And it starts a conversation, right? So I take that standpoint in the beginning. Now the stuff that's changed though is the, let's say um, the evaluation methods sometimes. Like, I used to have a certain type of quiz, and now I have a different type of quiz. And I used to weigh the grades this way, like, this percentage is this, and now I've changed this a little, right? So I think I've always had the the same goal of, like, how do I achieve this thing? Which, this is another old thing I didn't mention. I only mentioned one. The second was high standards and holding people accountable. That's never changed. I've always been a stickler for this kind of thing and just like not letting things go and not letting people off easily. Um, So having that like, let's, hey, let's as a group get into this crazy, wondrous mindset thing together and we're going to do it in a way where I have very high expectations of you. That has stayed the same. Now, the way I get there has changed to an extent. I focused on different things. Maybe I've chosen different texts. Maybe I've erased some and then be like, no, I can come back to that in a better way. Maybe I showed a video once. Maybe I didn't. Maybe 
I stopped telling this one joke and I started doing something else. Though that's that's a starting point, right? I do you think that this means that truly what you're doing is changing the form but not the content. The objective is the same. The 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 spirit of what you're doing is the same. You're just doing it maybe in a slightly different way. Uh well, that's interesting. Trying- I thought I thought you were going to say the opposite, that the content changed and the form didn't. But No, I hmm. think that what you the, – the, I shouldn't use like form and content probably. Like the important stuff stays. It's just the way you present those things that changed. And sure, of course, you probably you used to do meditation one. Now you do meditation two. But that's still towards the same objective, right? Yeah, I think the same core objectives have stayed, but yeah. new ones have been added. I should say that too. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, too, I think, I think one of the things that people might, that the audience at large might think of this when, when we talk about this is like the new sensitivities, if you want, that are present in, in the education world, right? And the way our students want to be treated and the parents of our students want us to treat the students and this new way of understanding you, you know we have mentioned this a couple of times like I'm you know passing like this idea of ungrading or the idea of doing or having less of a rigid standards because we need to accommodate the new world uh, and you know we are supposed to pay more attention to the emotional aspect of one's life rather than the, 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 the rational aspect of one's life. I'm just making stuff up at this point. but And I think that that is what we are expected to change somewhat. But I feel that up to a certain point, me and probably you too are resistant to this kind of change and not because we're resistant to change in general, which is what people get accused to exactly of, of doing, but just because we think that this change is detrimental to the mental health and the intellectual health of these people, and we need to kind of balance actually this th- th- this way of doing things, which has been imposed. We have to say we know somebody who teaches in high school and stuff like that. It's been imposed to students there because it's not organic that's the thing that mm-hmm. is not this all these movements most of these movements i dare say that they didn't they weren't born organically in the classroom anywhere they come from somewhere else they come from outside the academic world and they have taken over which is this bureaucratization admin administrativization good that's um, good <laughs> of of academia on multiple levels. By academia, I don't mean just colleges and universities. I mean also, you know, all schools, all level of schools. I think that's the issue. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to get accused of, oh, you resist, you're just an old man resisting change, period. That's not the case. I, I do resist the change that I think is detrimental, but I do accept the change that I feel it's useful. Yeah, you want to evaluate yourself, right? You don't want to not exactly. question yourself. You always have, like, you always, after a lesson, sometimes you have really good ones. You're like, wow, that was great. 
And sometimes you have one, you're like, you know, the past like two times I did that, the same thing happened. How could I tweak that? Or like some concrete things I'm thinking. I am less interested in teaching Barkley now than I used to be. Like that's one. Because in the middle, like in the larger conversation I have in the section of one of the classes I do, I feel like that that kind of is less important and it, they're just like what is this and i'm like but it's about is there a mind independent world but it, but it like loses them so stuff like that or i implemented more writing and oral exams because i was like mm-hmm. you know what here's what needs to happen right students have to really dig into stuff and really articulate and so mm-hmm. I'm like, well, how can, right? Because I see an issue here. I see an issue with thinking about something for a long amount of time, for paying attention, and for expressing things clearly. And I recognized this at a certain point that I was like, I can't have them write essays. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't have them just write like an argument. Like, there's way more fundamental stuff that, ha- that has to, oh, there's the alarm, uh, that has <laughs> to get taken care of. That, of course, if that's not taken care of, that explains all the issues with the, the higher level stuff in the essay. So, yeah, I mean, you got to always walk away from what you're doing asking, you know, what could I do better? Um, yeah, no. And the change thing, I think what you said is exactly right. And it makes me think of when uh, music, like when bands change. Sometimes a band, you've heard this phrase before, fanboys. Have you heard yeah. this? Right. And a fanboy is someone who basically says a, a particular band can do no wrong. Yep. So anything they release is not only good, but it's their best. And yep. it's the best thing ever. Yep. <laughs> and, and this happens uh, with a lot of bands. Like my, uh, my favorite band, they got me into like everything after them is this band Coheed and Cambria, right? Okay. And uh, their first three albums are phenomenal. Like, given like the music history and like what was out at the time and what they've done and how they influenced all this other stuff, not just with music, but how like the band conducted itself and other things they've done or whatever. Um, but that's like one thing, right? And then they yeah. they release more stuff, and you're like, okay, this is not the same thing. Maybe occasionally you get a nice hit on one of the later albums that comes out and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this one's actually really good. Wow. But compared to that stuff from the perspective of this person who is this age and this mindset of this period in history with this kind of craftsmanship, it's just not it's not there. Right. Yeah. And back in the day when I existed on the Internet and to people with this music, I remember you would you would look at a lot of arguments and get into arguments and people would always do the same thing, which is like, if you questioned anything <laughs> about yep. it, it was because you can't accept change. You want things to be exactly the same. You must be some like close-minded, blah, blah, blah person. Yep. And it's like, no, no, no. The fact that you think some particular change or set of changes is not good doesn't mean you won't accept any change or that... You, the reason you don't like it is not because change is bad. The reason you don't like it is because this specific change is bad. And that's really different. Yep. Yep. And this is the same thing with teaching, right? It's like, no, no, I'm not opposed to change. You can't just say someone's closed-minded because they don't accept 100% of the differences you propose. 
Yep. It's much more complex than that. You are 100% right. I always fight with the same people that you're describing on music or on anything. I li- I I hate the the fanboy mentality. Yes. There's a lot of people that are that, that mentality for everything. Like if I like somebody, there's nothing the person can do wrong. If I like an author, there's nothing a person that that author can do wrong. He cannot write shitty books. Well, well you, yes, he can. Like bands, it's like the you know. I always have this conversation. I'm like, listen, I understand that there's you're affectionate to the sound, but change happens, and they made a bad choice. That's it. Uh, yeah, and you, you're right. This is this is exactly the mentality that, that that's applied to to teaching. And again, the moment you resist anything, but now we are at the point where the moment you don't agree 100 percent and do not implement the 100 percent of what one specific fraction of the population does, then you become the enemy. You are not pure enough. It's purity, right? It's the concept. Purity has ruined uh, our society, this concept. So interesting. And yeah, and with like the band I was talking about, it's very clear. If you like listen to the early stuff. Is it is it like corn that changed completely or? No, it's like they started out and they were like this super interesting like, it was like um like a post hardcore band that had prog mm-hmm. elements that they later kind of that but it was also like very had this beautiful pop thing about it and then this classic rock thing in the background and it was like so many things that were like blended seamlessly non intentionally perfectly mm-hmm. at this moment it was like oh my god and then over time it just be like it's this like overly produced generic sounding wannabe arena rock that, that, okay. and i feel bad saying that because i'm not trying to be like mean or insulting but it very obviously is not this thing and that that's not into same thing with like the mars volta right like i oh yeah one of my favorite bands the first two albums are like the best albums that i've ever heard right they're they're in my list very like undoubtedly um you should check them out if you haven't. Uh, but uh, then they started getting different. And you're like, okay. And then yeah. eventually you're like, oh, this is like lame. And they had a comeback recently. And I was super oh, excited for the comeback. And then I, I listened to the the things they put out. And I was like, oh, this is kind of, <laughs> it's not bad, but it's like, this is weird. And yeah. they always were like, they were like this prog revival that was so not cheesy and so authentic and so yeah. raw and cool and then they were like we're gonna walk away from that and, and the the members of the band were all like you guys are just fascists you want us to oh, do God. what you want us to do i'm not like some monkey that performs and you're like that's that's not the point that's not the <laughs> point like you can look at craftsmanship objectively right yeah when, you, you and know, I, i'm glad i got to finish I was going to say, and you know for a fact, it's not that we think that because we have examples that go against that. Like yep. Radiohead still puts out good music, I would say. Like a moon-shaped pool. I, I know you disagree a little bit. A moon-shaped pool has really good stuff on it. Deftones Again, I, releases some good stuff too. You like the new Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's uh, and with, uh, with, with Radiohead, truth is, at some point I just lost interest. That's all. Right. And then I, right, I, right. Never, I never came back to it. So that was it. Uh, but yeah, the... And the, you know the new 
Queens of Stone Age album. It's good. Is it their best work ever? No. Is it terrible? No. Is there there's some songs that are like great that I think are up there? Yes. But that's but then there's like I don't know, another band that I like the Black Keys, the last album is like meh. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, you know. But I think we to bring it back to the school thing, I do ultimately think that we have a kind of rebellious element in us where it's like, okay, but there's an ideal that you have yeah. to preserve, right? And like you have to push back against things, maybe not explicitly, maybe not confrontationally or in specific ways, but like you can't just let something disappear. No, absolutely. And I like think that's that the point of integrity. The way I, yeah, yeah. The way I do it in my class is just, I want to say that there is, and I say because some students have told me that there is a specific, let's call it atmosphere within the class while we are together in the classroom. And this is why I believe that my in-person classes are probably better than my online classes because in the in-person class, you're able to create the atmosphere where certain values are present, but they don't feel imposed because you are going through the process of transformation while we're doing this. While in an online class, that cannot happen because you're coming with your expectations and if the class doesn't conform to what you expect, it's the class that's not good. It's not you never question yourself as a student, right? On top of it, we need to change, you know, because of technology again, this old chat GPT thing, it's forcing people to change. And I see the struggle in our colleagues that really haven't changed in uh, in, in 50 years. Now they don't know what to do. You're saying you were mentioning like oral exams. I have had colleagues coming to me and be like, hey, you've been doing oral exams for years. How does that work? How do you do it? Because they have no clue. Uh, but even I had to change something. Like I, one of the things that I'm doing this semester is going to be the first time I tried. I'm going to have them having a portfolio pretty much of things they do in class. Uh, well, a bunch of things that they used to do at home, they're going to do it in class. And some things are going to be very different. That is part of change, isn't it? But I think that, again, I don't know. I, I don't even know what's the question. So I don't know what the expectation was for the for the answer. But I think that usually when people think about this, think more of the, of the student and society societal expectations rather than mm. changing the uh, the assignments, sort of. Yeah, I think it's like you keep the same fundamental ends, but tweak the means. Maybe sometimes invent new ones. Maybe sometimes get rid of old ones, and maybe implement new ends while not getting rid of the other fundamental ends. I think that's kind of the best way of saying it. Um, yeah, and, I mean. Are there certain things that we need to get rid of sometimes within the traditional things? Sure. Uh, corporal punishment in school, bad. Let's take it away, right? You mean you don't want the nuns to just smack you? <laughs> exactly, right? It's that bad. Let's take it away. But, you know, integrity? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't get rid of that, right? Rigor? Yeah, exactly. To I go mean, back to that I word? Always, I always ask the same question to people that are and that go in that direction. And it's let me understand. If you had to have surgery, would you want to have a doctor that has gone through a rigorous process in order to get the credentials for him to perform surgery or on you? Or do you want somebody that it just went to school and you don't know because there's no grades anymore? There's no process anymore. Everybody like, gets gets a certificate at the end. And similarly, someone who has been trained 
to basically just accept everything they do as sufficient rather than exactly. someone that's been trained to recognize what their shortcomings are and to work on skills so that they can overcome those things and improve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, definitely. Yeah. You you said you had a question that I didn't have uh, access yeah. to? Okay. Yeah. I have a, I have a question. It's a simple question. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much we're going to be able to comment this because this person is asking us our opinion on anti-natalism. Uh, okay. So we briefly mentioned this and I probably just gave an eye roll and made a funny noise. So those of you guys are listening who don't know what this is. Anti-natalism is the belief that you should not produce offspring. You, it is immoral to do so. Yes. Um, and I suppose there's a, a number of reasons not to do this, but the one I've heard is like, the world is bad, and if you bring someone into the world, that's kind of like, forcing them to be tortured and to have a bad life and to go through trauma. I've heard that. I've heard stuff about population. What what what, what do you think of when you think of this? Uh, same thing. I think that the main reason is uh the main reason is to, for for this point of view is environmental, right? So That's many right. of us. Yeah. Uh limited resources. Blah, 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 blah. So we need not to reproduce anymore. We got into an argument about this, remember, in New York? After the, we went to the museum? With me? Me and you? No, no me. me with, you. J- with Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And I remember. like some other people, too. Yeah, it got pretty intense. Yeah. I remember. Um, I do not believe that that is a good idea. Yep, I, I do not. I don't I do like not, antinatalism. I don't. Not only like internationalism, I think that it is dangerous because it's like population control. But instead of state-sponsored, mind-sponsored, which is even worse. And it's it's also like, let's say, fueled by a specific agenda, right? And if you accept yep. these things, then you're putting the agenda above the value of like human life or above liberty, or above the pursuit of meaning, or things like this. And I, I don't think that's good in itself. And I also yeah. think that consequentially, that does not seem to go down a good path. Um, mm. I mean, what do we think about this argument that it's immoral to bring someone in the world because they're personally going to experience pain and suffering? I mean, okay, but... Mm-hmm. But in some sense, that's kind of the point, right? And you also experience the highs, and you also develop character. And also, this is what a human does. To, you don't like this one, but to like give a kind of like teleological argument, this is how this is how you find meaning, right? You're like evolutionarily developed to be a child that learns the world and becomes a parent that raises children, and to make them good and effective in the world. And this is this is a part of things. I mean, I don't yeah. I'm not going to like put some specific like well, I don't know, other people have a problem with this thing, so like I'm not allowed to do this mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, no, I think that's silly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think there's any any disagreement amongst yourself, right, uh, regarding this thing. Like absolutely. Absolutely. I I 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have anything to add to what you just said, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that that's like the most straightforward one. Yeah, that we ever had. Uh, I ha- there's there's a funny suggestion in here. It's not a question. Sure. The Go suggestion. I want to read it how it's written. Giuseppe needs to mumble less. <laughs> slash speak louder and more clearly so I can hear him over the sound of my car. And I drive a hybrid. It's not even a loud car. <laughs> okay, will do. But you told me to lower my volume the other day. That that wasn't an issue of your the volume, your speaking volume. It was okay. your input was like clipping. Gotcha, gotcha. But we'll we'll Listen, it's well, you know what it is? It's because your voice is so so like Barry White and low and deep and sweet <laughs> that like when I raise the volume, like I can only EQ your voice so much. And, like there's there's so much bass and then you just hear the rumble and it's hard to but we'll try. Maybe I need a different mic or something like that. I mean, or you can the, get a different mic or, that picks up the high end more, but I'll 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 try to to EQ it a little. Uh, we'll see. Or I need to just speak closer to it, and it's more even more difficult when we are remote because yes, you know, I, I'm looking at you and going away from the mic, and then I, sometimes I forget to get close again. So and I don't hear your direct input; I only hear what you send me afterwards. Exactly. So, but I have to not remove too much of your low end because that's the appeal of your voice too. Because we have such different voices, right? Like you're like the, the sweet low end, and I'm like just like the the honky <laughs> mid range. <laughs> Apparently, you had someone that said I had a good radio voice, yeah, which is news yeah, to me. That is true. That is true. That is true. I, I haven't received any compliments on that. So you just must be just from the radio voice. <laughs> All right, we we done with the questions. I think I think we're done with the questions. I, I thought we were going to get one more, uh, but we but we did not. Um, hmm. That's okay. Yeah, the only other avenue is to be like, "Do you have any questions for me? Do I have a question for you?" But I don't. I don't. <laughs> no, at there's, the time. No, there's no need. I think we. Yeah, we we covered a lot. This, yeah, we covered a lot. It was long enough. And so we should yeah. say, by the way, guys. Um, soon. Soon. Uh, actually, one of our questions that we were going to have was going to be this thing, but we couldn't do it because you'll know why. So we also got the question, what is something that Giuseppe and Anthony genuinely disagree about? Mm-hmm. What is that thing and why do they disagree about it? We actually are going to make a whole episode about this um, and you guys can access it if you follow us on, pa- on Patreon. Uh, the link is in the description for the Public Philosophy Project. It's very cheap to be a level level one lover of Sophie. I think it's like $2 a month or something yeah. like that. Um, if you get some shout-outs, you get access to this extra content. We're going to be putting out some other stuff, which will be fun. Um, mm-hmm. And also, we'll be doing a little, little giveaway. Yeah. All right, we'll yeah. be doing a little giveaway. Um, yeah. You know what? Yeah, let's do that one now. Let's not do that behind the paywall. Okay. So we, as you guys know, um, da, 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 a couple of weeks, a couple of months, when was it? Back in a June? month ago. A month ago? I, my brain. Is it it's only June. a month ago? Yeah, well, that was June. Now it's July. So, Jeez. Well, we did this this philosophical hike, the first of our series that we're doing mm-hmm. uh, with our sponsorship and which is the New Jersey Council for the Humanities. That's right. They've been good. Go check them out. Um, yep. 
and we got some shirts made mm-hmm. uh, for the Public Philosophy Project. They're pretty cool. Um, it just has our logo on the front and on the back. It has the the tour dates, let's say, like it's yep. a, made to be like a band shirt almost, and mm-hmm. New Jersey Council for Humanities and stuff. So we got a couple shirts that mm-hmm. we will give away for free uh, to the first two people who mm-hmm. send us an email uh, after listening to this. So if you want a shirt, and we mm-hmm. have a bunch of different sizes, so just tell us your shirt size. Um, and we have two, two colors, black or white. So we'll see mm-hmm. if we can cater to whatever you want. But the first two people to send an email to publicfillproject at gmail.com will get the, this cool shirt sent out to them. That's it. That's it. That's uh, they're they're pretty cool. I gotta say, they are they're nice and they have you know some logos so you can you can bring the public philosophy project around together yeah. with the New Jersey Council for Humanities. You can do that. Yeah, I think you'll see you see the logo on the the Patreon. It's nice and minimal, so no, it's nothing crazy and tacky or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Cool. So that's that. Um, Again, follow us on Patreon. You'll get access to this What Do We Disagree About episode. And we'll probably get into it more than we would on the public airwaves, so to speak. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So I hope you guys like this, though. Send us more questions. We'd love to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. There's 50 episodes to go for the next time. So, <laughs> And who knows? If we get flooded, maybe we'll intervene. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. of course. If we get like 50 questions, maybe we'll need another special before that. Oh, yeah. We, so We can have a, a Thanksgiving special or a Christmas special. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you for thank a, you guys. A 100 episodes, 20,000 listens. That's let's pretty let's good. do 100 more and 20,000 more. There you go. All right, guys. See you later. See ya.